Part Six of the Smoky God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. Sands. The Smoky God, or Voyage to the Inner World, by Willis George Emerson. Conclusion. In concluding this history of my adventures, I wish to state that I firmly believe science is yet in its infancy concerning the cosmology of the earth. There is so much that is unaccounted for by the world's accepted knowledge of today, and will ever remain so until the land of the smoky god is known and recognized by our geographers. It is the land from whence came the great logs of cedar that have been found by explorers in open waters far over the northern edge of the earth's crust, and also the bodies of mammoths, whose bones are found in vast beds on the Siberian coast. Northern explorers have done much. Sir John Franklin, De Haven Grinnell, Sir John Murray, Kane, Melville, Hall, Nansen, Schwatka, Greeley, Peary, Ross, Gerlach, Bernacci, Andre, Amsden, Amudson, and, and others have all been striving to form the frozen citadel of mystery. I believe firmly that Andre and his two brave companions, Strindberg and Frankel, who sailed away in the balloon, Orion, from the northwest coast of Spitsbergen on that Sunday afternoon of July 11, 1897, are now in the within world, and doubtless are being entertained, as my father and myself were entertained by the kind-hearted giant race inhabiting the inner Atlantic continent. Having, in my humble way, devoted years to these problems, I am well acquainted with the accepted definitions of gravity as well as the cause of the magnetic needle's attraction. And I'm prepared to say that it is my firm belief that the magnetic needle is influenced solely by electric currents which completely envelop the earth like a garment, and that these electric currents in an endless circuit pass out of the southern end of the earth's cylindrical opening, diffusing and spreading themselves over all the outside surface, and rushing madly on in their course toward the North Pole, and while these currents seemingly dash off into space at the Earth's curve or edge, yet they drop again to the inside surface and continue their way southward along the inside of the Earth's crust, toward the opening of the so-called South Pole. Note 24. Quote, Mr. Lemstrom concluded that an electric discharge which could only be seen by means of the spectroscope, was taking place on the surface of the ground all around him, and that from a distance it would appear as a faint display of aurora, the phenomenon of pale and flaming light which is sometimes seen on the top of the Spitsbergen Mountains, unquote. From the Arctic Manual, page 739. As to gravity, no one knows what it is because it has not yet been determined whether it is atmospheric pressure that causes the apple to fall, or whether, 150 miles below the surface of the earth, supposedly one halfway through the earth's crust, there exists some powerful lodestone attraction that draws it. 
therefore, whether the apple, when it leaves the limb of the tree, is drawn or impelled downward to the nearest point of resistance, is unknown to the students of physics. Sir James Ross claimed to have discovered the magnetic pole at about 74 degrees latitude. This is wrong. The magnetic pole is exactly one-half the distance through the Earth's crust. Thus, if the Earth's crust is 300 miles in thickness, which is the distance I estimate it to be, then the magnetic pole is undoubtedly 150 miles below the surface of the Earth. It matters not where the test is made. And at this particular point, 150 miles below the surface, gravity ceases, becomes neutralized. And when we pass beyond that point, on toward the inside surface of the Earth, a reverse attraction geometrically increases in power until the other 150 miles of distance is traversed, which would bring us out on the inside of the Earth. Thus, if a hole were bored down through the Earth's crust at London, Paris, New York, Chicago, or Los Angeles, a distance of 300 miles, it would connect the two surfaces, while the inertia and momentum of weight dropped in from the outside surface would carry it far past the magnetic center. Yet, before reaching the inside surface of the Earth, it would gradually diminish in speed after passing the halfway point, finally pause and immediately fall back toward the outside surface, and continue thus to oscillate like the swinging of a pendulum with the power removed, until it would finally rest at the magnetic center, or at that particular point exactly one-half the distance between the outside surface and the inside surface of the Earth. The gyration of the Earth in its daily act of whirling around in its spiral rotation, at a rate greater than 1,000 miles every hour, or about 17 miles per second, makes of it a vast electro-generating body, a huge machine, a mighty prototype of the puny man-made dynamo, which, at best, is but a feeble imitation of nature's original. The valleys of this inner Atlantis continent, bordering the upper waters of the farthest north, are in season covered with the most magnificent and luxuriant flowers. Not hundreds and thousands, but millions of acres, from which the pollen or blossom are carried far away in most every direction by the Earth's spiral gyrations and the agitation of the wind resulting therefrom. And it is these blossoms, or pollen, from the vast floral meadows within that produce the colored snows of the Arctic regions that have so mystified the northern explorers. Note 25, Kane, Volume 1, page 44, says, quote, We passed the crimson cliffs of Sir John Ross in the forenoon of August 5th. The patches of red snow from which they derived their name could be seen clearly at the distance of ten miles from the coast, unquote. La Chambre, in an account of André's balloon expedition on page 144, says, quote, On the Isle of Amsterdam, the snow is tinted with red for a considerable distance, and the savants are collecting it to examine it microscopically. It presents, in fact, certain peculiarities. It is thought that it contains very small plants. Scoresby, 
the famous whaler, had already remarked this. Unquote. Beyond question, this new land within is the home, the cradle of the human race, and viewed from the standpoint of the discoveries made by us, must of necessity have a most important bearing on all physical, paleontological, archaeological, philological, and mythological theories of antiquity. The same idea of going back to the land of mystery, to the very beginning, to the origin of man, is found in the Egyptian traditions of the earlier terrestrial regions of the gods, heroes and men, from the historical fragments of Manitho, fully verified by the historical records taken from the more recent excavations of Pompeii, as well as the traditions of the North American Indians. It is now one hour past midnight. The new year of 1908 is here, and this is the third day thereof. And having at last finished the record of my strange travels and adventures I wish given to the world, I am ready, and even longing, for the peaceful rest which I am sure will follow life's trials and vicissitudes. I am old in years, and ripe both with adventures and sorrows, yet rich with the few friends I have cemented to me in my struggles to lead a just and upright life. Like a story that is, well, nigh told, my life is ebbing away. The presentment is strong within me that I shall not live to see the rising of another sun. Thus do I conclude my message. Olaf Jensen End of Part 6 Recorded by J. Sands